Well, hello, everyone. Good to see your masks. My name is Peter. I'm the pastor here at St. Andrews, and I'm just so glad that you're here, particularly on this day, where for over 2,000 years now, people have gathered to hear the message that we're going to hear this morning. And millions upon millions of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are gathering right now to hear this message. And I feel privileged to stand in this sanctuary with you to bring that message to you. And so before we do, let me pray, and then I'll read part of the Easter story. Lord Jesus, We're thankful this morning. You are risen and seated in heaven and you look down upon us now. Do what only you can do to build your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for every person that you have brought here today, every person online. We pray that they would hear the good news this morning that you have for them about who you are, and what you've done, and what you are doing in them, even now. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Easter text for this morning will be in John chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 19. It says this, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Did you catch at the beginning of the story how John, our gospel writer, described the emotional experience that the disciples were going through? The disciples were held in the grip of fear. They were in a room together with no plan and no strategy, probably in some form of fear-induced paralysis, and there they were, and they did what people do when they're afraid. They locked the door. And they were afraid because they thought maybe what had happened to their leader, not just their leader, the one that they believed would save the whole world, not just the one they believed would save the whole world, but the one who they had given up everything and doubled down in order to be with and join with in mission had died on a Roman cross in utter failure and total defeat. And so they were there in their fear. And they did what people do when they're afraid. All hope was gone. When Jesus died, their hope died, and so they were in a room and they started locking some doors. And I wonder if for us, we might think about the year that we had and also what the true story of Easter is all about and we could resonate with the disciples at the beginning of the story. You know, the Easter story isn't told in one day actually began 40 days ago on Ash Wednesday. One of my favorite anecdotes for Ash Wednesday, because a lot of people don't quite understand what Ash Wednesday is, came from my six-year-old son, Remy, this year. We went through a whole debacle I shared with the church about how the car I bought from the former pastor of this church, Pastor Mark, got completely totaled by a teeny tiny mouse that had taken residency in the car, so we sold that off, and then we got a new car, my dream car, which is a 1993 Euro camper van by Volkswagen. And when I brought it to my six-year-old son, he said, Dad, why is this new car so old? <laughs> Didn't have a good answer for him, but he began to explore the Euro van, and he found something that I had forgotten about, that it is in a car from the 90s. He found this little tray, you remember it, the ashtray in the car, and he said, Dad, what on earth is this? And I said, they call that an ashtray, son. And he said, oh yeah, an ashtray for Ash Wednesday. You're a pastor, that's great. You have one of those now. But really, when we think about Ash Wednesday, what we're doing is inside and outside of a pandemic, we're acknowledging a truth about life, a difficult truth about life, the truth that death is a part of life. And I think we've become aware of this reality in a way we never have before over the last year. And so as we journey on this Easter journey, we think about Jesus and how he dealt with death. And we can think of 
over 2 million people this year globally who lost their lives in this pandemic. And we can sit and acknowledge the reality that death is a part of life, a difficult part of life. And we might even ask ourselves, where have we started locking some doors, whether intentionally or unintentionally in our lives, because some of the hopes we had, some of the dreams we had have been lost and they've given way to fear and anxiety. We can see the humanness in the Easter story. It's so important for us to think through these things as we try and live our life in the best way that we possibly can. And look at the example of Jesus. And here's our bit of good news, our first bit this morning about the resurrected Jesus who defeated sin and death and rose again and tracked down his disciples who were in the grip of fear and totally disrespected their locked doors. And out of his compassion, he went to them to speak a word of comfort. And so he looked at this group who was in defeat and despair, and he said, peace be with you. And as if he knew that the news was too good and they wouldn't be able to understand it with just one word of encouragement, he said it again. He said, peace be with you. You see, in moments of real fear and difficulty, there is nothing like a true word of comfort. I can remember one of the best words of comfort I ever witnessed was at a camp called Campus by the Sea in Catalina. When we were there, I was asked to be one of the speakers. I was actually the secondary speaker at the camp. And the primary speaker at the camp decided that after one of his talks, he would have a breakout where people could do different things in response. The students could. And so they could go play games if they wanted to. They could keep worshiping if they wanted to. Or they could go to a place where I would be and ask any question that they wanted to ask. And so I braced myself for the hordes that would come with those options. No, it was just a small group that showed up. But I realized what God had done very early on as I opened up the conversation. I said, okay, guys, ask whatever question you want to ask. This ninth grader in the front row, teeny little ninth grader, stood up and with a shaky voice, he said, Peter, My parents just told me they are getting divorced before I came on this trip. And they said that somebody here would be able to help me. And I stood there for a really long time, must have been an awkward amount of time, saying nothing, with no real words to say. And then this big athletic senior who was sitting in the back, stood up and said, four years ago, my parents got divorced. 
And it is really hard. But I am part of your church. And I will help you through it. And it will get better. And the little ninth grade boy sat down in tears. And the big senior came and gave him a hug. And that pretty much ended the Q&A session that day. Never underestimate a word of encouragement. And now there are some that just words alone are not enough. For some, just talk feels cheap. And so I don't know if you noticed in the story, but it wasn't just talk. But Jesus showed the disciples his nail-scarred hands and he showed him where the wound entered his body. And of course, as with any good meaning, there was one who missed the meeting, right? And so his friends tried to tell Thomas, Thomas, you will not believe what has just happened. This is the best news you could possibly ever hear. And he said, well, I'm going to need to see more. A good skeptic. Not unless I put my own hands on his wounds will I believe. And the good news is, is that Jesus came back again just for Thomas. And he disrespected the locked doors again just for Thomas. And he said, Thomas, put your hands here. Experience it for yourself. Whatever doubt you have, I have compassion for that doubt. And I so desperately want you to believe that I will go all the way. You see, Jesus wasn't just speaking words. It says in the beginning of the Gospel of John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is the dominant theme of John, that Jesus is the living, embodied Word. No more beautifully depicted than in this scene of Jesus with his open hands extended towards a doubting Thomas. And I wonder, too, if you're like me, that after the year that we have, where fear is in the mix dominantly, that one of the other things that we do, other than just lock doors, is we start to clench fists. You know, in that Eurovan, I have the, the handle on the passenger side is ripped off because somebody was probably so afraid on some adventure that they had gripped it hard enough to just tear it right out. And we do this, don't we, when things are not going our way, when we're uncertain in uncertain times, we feel our hands begin to clench. And maybe you've been walking around sometime this year just thinking, the next person that says that next thing to me is going to get it. I don't care if it's in the grocery store or the PTA meeting or online, somebody's going to get it. Because this is about enough. And so, the next bit of good news from the resurrected Jesus Christ is that to our clenched fists, he comes with an open hand. And he says, you don't have to live like this anymore. And Thomas looks down at the scars in his hand and he sees eternity. And he is amazed at who Jesus Christ is and what he has done.
reminds me of a story that the writer Brendan Manning tells about how he got his name. His actual given name was Francis, and he had a friend named Ray, his best friend growing up in Brooklyn. They did everything together that best friends do. They went on double dates, they got their license together, they did everything together. They even signed up for the army together. They even fought on the front lines in Korea together. And while they were there one day, Brendan Manning tells the story that he was with Ray, and Ray was eating a chocolate bar and reminiscing about the days back in Brooklyn when a live grenade fell into their foxhole. And so Ray looked at Brennan with a smile, and he dove on the grenade. And he died, but he saved Brennan Manning's life. Later on, Brennan went on to become an ordained Franciscan priest. And part of that ceremony, you're asked, what saint would you like to be named after? And so he thought of his friend, Ray Brennan, who gave his life so that he could live. He goes on to tell that later on in the evening, he was at Ray's mother's house. And they were having tea together late into the night when he finally asked the question that he was desperate to ask, which was, do you think Ray really loved me? And without missing a beat, Ray's mother stood up, put her finger in Brennan Manning's face, and said, what more could he have done for you to let you know that he loved you? Brendan Manning says that that was the moment of epiphany for him as he thought about standing at the cross of Jesus Christ and wondering, does Jesus really love me? Only to have Mother Mary standing there with her finger in his face saying, what more could he have done for you? What more could he have done for you? Of course he really loves you. And so my prayer for us is that with every locked door that Jesus disrespects, and with the unconditional love and grace of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross, and then with the life, the Zoe life, that Jesus Echoing Genesis, where the first human beings are created by God out of the dust of the earth, breathed his breath of life onto that dust, onto that death, onto that sin, onto that brokenness, and through his spirit brought new life and hope and healing. And once and for all, prove to us that sin and death do not get the last word. And so we might too let our fear give way to belief and not let death have the final word, but stand in awe of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Peace be with you. Peace be with you.
peace be with you. Let us pray together. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would come to resurrect us in our fear, in our doubt, in our brokenness, in our everydayness. Would you bring new life? Would you bring new hope? Would you change us and transform us into the people that you want us to be? And would you help those who are doubting to believe in you so that we might build your kingdom and see your goodness all for your glory? In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.